If you need help getting Social Security Disability Benefits, then this podcast is for you. Give me 15 minutes and I'll pull back the curtain on disability and reveal the secrets to winning I've learned over the past 25 plus years. Hi, I'm Jonathan Ginsberg and I'm a practicing Social Security Disability Lawyer. I want to help deserving claimants just like you win the benefits you deserve and not one penny less. Now, if you already know you need help today, go to ssdanswers.com for a free and confidential evaluation of your case. It takes just two minutes. That's ssdanswers.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's start the show. How do you improve your chances at winning a mental health social security disability case? Today, I'll be interviewing attorney Jeffrey Herman, a social security disability lawyer based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. This will actually be a two-part episode because Jeffrey and I covered a lot of ground and I don't want our interview to run too long. In part one, Jeffrey and I focus on evidence, what medical records you need to win a depression or anxiety or PTSD case, and how to best prepare for your hearing. Interestingly, Jeffrey's experience with the judges he sees in the Phoenix area are very similar to what I see in Atlanta and in telephone hearings I'm trying before judges in the Northeast, Midwest, Pacific Northwest, and really throughout the country. Mental health cases can be tough because unlike back injury claims or heart disease claims, there are no objective tests like an MRI or a CT scan to prove that you have severe and intractable depression or anxiety or PTSD or bipolar or whatever the mental health diagnosis may be. But as Jeffrey points out, a solid treatment record and medical source statements from your treating psychologist or psychiatrist can make all the difference. Now, when I went back to listen to this part of the interview, along with part two, which I'll release in a few days, I realized that Jeffrey set out a clear and concise roadmap for how to win a mental health case. And if you're applying for yourself or for a loved one, I highly recommend that you give both these episodes a listen. So without further ado, here's part one of my conversation with Arizona attorney Jeffrey Herman. Welcome, everybody. We are talking today to attorney Jeffrey Herman, who is a disability attorney in the Phoenix, Arizona area, although it does cover uh, cases, disability cases throughout Arizona. Jeffrey, welcome. Thanks for taking your time. Thank you, Jonathan. Happy New Year. So same to you. Happy New Year as well. I want to just jump right in. We're talking about mental health cases today. And, you know, in my practice, as I'm sure in yours, you see a lot of people with some level of mental health issues, depression, uh, anxiety, that kind of thing. What percentage would you say of the people that you see have some level of depression, anxiety, some sort of mental health issues? I'd say at least over half the clients have some degree of some depression or anxiety going on with um, perhaps about 25, 30% where their mental illness happens to be their primary disabling condition. Yeah, you know, I think that obviously anybody who can't work, especially if you're used to supporting yourself and paying your bills and now you can't do yeah. it, that's inherently depressing. But Absolutely. sometimes obviously it goes beyond that. So if mental health is the main issue in a disability case that you're trying, what what do you look for? What are the what's the sort of the the checklist that you go through when you're talking to somebody to be able to tell them, yes, you've got enough to be able to support a disability claim based primarily on mental health issues? Yeah, that's, um, I mean, as we know, the, the essential criteria for any disability case is that the condition has to be severe. 
And unlike physical conditions where you have uh, MRIs and CAT scans that can show level of severity, we don't really have that when it comes to evaluating the severity of a mental illness. So some of the factors I look at are, you know, are there any hospitalizations? Are there any suicide attempts? Is there a really spotty work record, work history that shows that this person just struggles immensely with being able to hold down a job? Um, and then from there, it, it's a little bit more, I guess, uh, fact dependent about the exact nature of their mental illness, whether it's severe depression, severe anxiety with a lot of panic attacks or anxiety attacks. Are we talking about someone with a bipolar disorder, schizoaffective disorder? Are there any hallucinations, auditory or visual? Um, but essentially, I'm looking to see, is there a hospitalization or have they been in ongoing, some form of ongoing treatment with a psychiatrist and preferably a therapist, social worker, or psychologist? And, uh, and, and, and the work history, I think, says a lot, too. How so? Well, that's interesting. You mentioned work history. Uh, why is that such an important factor for you? Well, I, I, I tend to evaluate a case as if I were the judge. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, in my experience, what judges look to see on the cases I have been that have been approved that I've handled is they look to see has this individual attempted numerous jobs. And most judges expect to see lots of two to three month jobs, maybe a year there, but they look to see that this person is just unable to sustain a job for whatever the reason happens to be, whether it's they miss a lot of work, they don't, you know, they don't play well with others, whether it's their coworkers or the general public, uh, insubordination issues being written up or disciplinary problems. And I, I think judges really want to see, has this person done all they can? Have they attempted different kinds of jobs and in addition to the, uh, the treatment aspect of, uh, for their illness? Okay. You know, one of the factors that I see sometimes is, uh, you know, you mentioned psychiatrists. Obviously, people uh, are going to be on prescribed different medications. Um, and I find actually that you know, I'm looking for, for cases where people have medications. And actually, I'm also looking for situations where maybe the psychiatrist has tried different medications that don't work, because obviously some medications work better for others, um, or that the dosage keeps going up. So I look yeah. at the medication history, too, because uh, I think that also is a pretty good indi indication that the it's really not under control, because obviously for judges, if a condition, whether it's you know, mental depression, anxiety, if it's controlled with medications, obviously it wouldn't necessarily be disabling, but if it's not controlled with medications, uh, you know, certainly it, it would be uh, uh, more of a problem or people that are medication resistant. Uh, would you, wouldn't you find that as well? Um, and uh, you mentioned, we talked about the, obviously different types. So let's kind of go through some of the main stuff, the main, main type of mental health issues we see. I mean, obviously depression being the big one. So somebody comes to you and says, I'm severely depressed. What are you looking for? What level of depression? is enough? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when it comes to depression, I, I usually tend to see depression isn't the main condition. Usually it's a symptom of something else too, whether that also happens to be a, a physical medical condition and this, this individual has just been watching their, um, their body deteriorate or decline because of this particular condition. Usually people who are depressed they like to self-isolate a lot. So somebody who happens to be very reclusive, 
maybe even a diagnosis of agoraphobia where they have difficulties leaving the house. Um, depression uh, happens to, you know, unfortunately have pretty high um, <clears throat> suicide attempt rate as well. So if somebody is severely depressed, has this person had any suicide attempts? Do they have any suicide ideations that show up in their, um, their, their treatment with their psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist? Um, sometimes there are voluntary or involuntary hospitalizations that result after a suicide attempt. So I you know, look to see what the hospital record has to say. Uh, and then, you know, you tend to get a, a good amount of information as well from people that know them, um, whether it's a spouse, a significant other, someone else in a household that can help um, bolster their credibility that this person isolates a lot. They go through mood swings, appetite disturbances, sleep disturbances. Um, so I, I look to see a kind of a combination of all those factors. Don't know where to begin? Get my free Secrets to Getting Approved Survival Kit. Inside the kit, I discuss such things as how do you know if you have a case? What to do if you're denied? How to avoid common mistakes? And my ever popular, how to avoid trick questions from the judge? Subscribing is free and easy. Just visit ssdanswers.com and look for the survival kit for instant access. Remember, Time is eroding your position every day. Don't delay. Act now. That's ssdanswers.com for your free survival kit. You know, you mentioned, and actually that's a very good point about the third party because I find, especially more recently, I'm finding that I'm submitting uh, statements from third parties, uh, which judges find very convincing in many cases, either a, a relative, a friend, or even a former coworker who can talk oh, about, absolutely. you know, problems that somebody, if you think about it, what better evidence is there than what a former coworker saw uh, in a work environment, actually. Um, anxiety is another element of, of, of not necessarily depression, element of mental health issues. Um, what are, again, some, 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 uh, some checkboxes you look for, for, for anxiety disorders? For anxiety disorders, um, typically I see clients, claimants with, um, they, they, they are riddled with anxiety or panic attacks that afflict them uh, throughout the week. So I look to see what the frequency is of, of their attacks, what are some of their triggers, how sensitive those triggers are to, to spur an attack. Uh, I look at their driving habits as well. I find that when a, well, if somebody is claiming they have severe anxiety, that just being able to drive a vehicle is enough alone to, um, to trigger anxiety and they have difficult times driving a car. And oftentimes, it, you know, we see um, claimants who are under 50 with various sorts of anxiety disorders. And if a person who is under 50, say in their 20s or 30s, isn't driving, I think that is a very significant limitation in their activities of daily living that um, can be very persuasive to a judge to really show the severity. Yeah, good, good point. Now, a subset of anxiety, I guess you could call it, would be PTSD. And I'm yeah. sure you see this in, in uh, people that have been in the military or mm -hmm. could be uh, other reasons as well. Anything different? Because I, I, I get a lot of people contacting me uh, alleging PTSD. What do you look for in a PTSD claim? 
Uh, gr great question. I do seem to get a fair amount of vets and um, I'm, 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 even though uh, you know, I, I have nothing but respect for anyone that served our country, I, I also do believe that there's a certain level of expectation of combat when you do sign up. So I look to see how acute the trauma is. What, what was it that they witnessed or that they, that they did? How pervasive was it? How long did they serve? so that it's not just one or two incidents, but it's been a history of such trauma that really changes, you know, I would say that the brain and how we react to, uh, to society. Most claimants that I find that have some, you know, that have severe PTSD typically have substantial limitations when it comes to their ability to interact with others. So I look to see what level of work attempts there are. Can we get any statements from some coworkers that they worked with that support, they had nothing but problems, issues. Um, and I also see for the most part with PTSD is um, very hard for them to get into treatment initially. Uh, I think there's a lot of resistance to going to a psychiatrist and admitting that they have a problem. Uh, I think when you're from, coming from the military, let's say as an example, take a lot of pride in, 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 in being someone that's defending the country and you can withstand bullets and explosions. And now you're admitting that you have this um, psychological trauma, which is very hard to do. Um, but when they finally do release that, surrender to it and get into their treatment, um, you know, it, 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 you can, I've, I've been very fortunate to see a lot of my clients really go through life-changing um, improvements uh, and getting to a point where they could potentially return to work, but depending on the level of their trauma, is how long, how many years of treatment they might need to return to that point. And you were probably talking about uh, military vets. Um, you know, I don't know what your experience is in, in the Phoenix area, but here in the Atlanta area, obviously folks treat at the VA. And I, I got to tell you, it can be very frustrating dealing with VA records because yeah. uh, they are just voluminous. They don't really say very much. Uh, it seems like the, the course of treatment is just giving more drugs mm -hmm. and they typically limit the number of sessions. So I tell my, my clients who are treating the VA that many times it might be worthwhile to seek a third party outside the VA uh, for treatment and evaluation because, you know, VA records uh, a lot of times are just not going to be enough. And that goes, to, you know, even further than that, the people with even 100% uh, service-connected disability through the VA, that doesn't bind Social Security in any way, shape, or form. Has your experience with the VA uh, there been the same as mine here? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's nice that they have access to My Healthy Vet so they can download and access their records and, and share it with their representative. On the other hand, I agree with you. The common treatment is drugs, drugs, more drugs, adjustments, but it doesn't really go into detail as far as you know, clinical notes and what, what's really happening documentation-wise. And, the, and, and then to further uh, enhance the struggle, I find it's very difficult to obtain any type of supportive medical opinion, mm -hmm. treating psychiatrists, psychologists. And you know, like we discussed earlier, when it comes to evaluating mental, a ment mental illness and the limitations it causes, um, you, there are no objective exams that would support a, a claimant's testimony. So it's really kind of, you know, it's really necessary, in my opinion, that there is some form of medical source statement from a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or, you know, even a therapist, but just something where there's, you know, consistent treatment and an opinion that substantiates this person has 
tremendous limitations in the various um, categories that Social Security looks at in evaluating such cases. Um, now, to, to switch gears a little bit, can you speak to the PTSD that I'm sure you see from folks who are, let's say, sexually abused as a child or who have a very, very traumatic relationship, maybe with a significant other or, uh, you know, maybe even long term uh, abuse, you know, mental or physical or sexual abuse? Do you see those cases and how do you uh, how do you look? What do you look look for with those type of cases and uh, what uh, what elements are really necessary to win those type of cases? Yeah, it's a good question, and I certainly see a lot of that type of um, abuse, whether it's physical or sexual, when they were younger. Um, I think a lot of it depends on, you know, how many years removed are we from that type of trauma? Um, you know, has this person been in and out of treatment their whole life, or are they, you know, just finally getting into treatment later in life? Um, I, I, I think when it comes to those deep-rooted trauma, judges really want to see not just the medication, but more so the talk therapy, you know, being able to unpack the trauma and has this person engaged and really, you know, done, I would say a minimum of two years of treatment, compliant treatment before a judge is going to, um, you know, be more inclined to approve such a case. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the other things I see with those cases is sometimes people, the, the, the trauma, the problem will manifest, manifest itself in their 40s or even 50s. They may have had the trauma, you know, in their teens or 20s, but they were able to work through it. But as they've gotten older, whether it's because they become physically more, a little more frail or because uh, these things have kind of percolated, uh, sometimes it takes a number of years before they manifest themselves. But I would agree that, you know, you, that you need to have these sort of longitudinal, what they call it in the Social Security world, treatment records um, yeah. to show that they, they are, are seeking treatment because, uh, uh, I, I don't have any doubt that those kind of traumas can be very, very damaging to people. And it's heartbreaking, really, uh, to hear some of the stories. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Subscribe to this podcast for regular updates at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this podcast useful, then please give me a five-star review because it helps others see the value of my information. Thank you in advance. For a 100% free and confidential evaluation of your case, visit ssdanswers.com. That's ssdanswers.com. Don't delay. Act now.